0: Of the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us scurrying through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome to today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. On board today, we have two of the other Golf Barons, Kipper and Philbert. Hello, gents. Great to be here. Hello, General Non. Excellent. Good start by you, Kipper. <laughs> Let's
1: move. <laughs> well, we've had a week off. I mean, we we the Masters was all a bit full on. And so we've had to take some time off, as is our traditional post-majors uh, recovery period, and, you know, think about what happened.
2: That was my first uh, issue for the day. I actually crossed over my head between selling, saying hello, men, and hello, gentlemen, so I said hello, mom <laughs> Gentle
0: <laughs> Just, Just getting in touch with your uh, Caribbean yeah. roots there. Jeez. Just getting into character, mate. Character. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs>
1: it's okay. I identify as a Mon Kipper, so we're all okay. Philly, uh, anyway, g'day.
0: Philly. you want to kick things off as per usual. Bring us all down before we pipe ourselves back up. <laughs>
1: Well, from a hate point of view, which I'm I'm doing my very best to shed myself of hates, and this is actually one, and again, we've got a lot of new golfers coming into the game, and this is one that concerns me, how complicated things like Stableford can be to the uninitiated. Oh. And the example that I've got here is that um, a friend of the shows, uh, the Knight in Shining Armor, or the Knight in Sheening Armor, was playing a nine-hole competition up in Sydney. Mm was given a handicap of 36 as a first handicap, quite competent and, and able to cope with that. But because it was a nine-hole comp, she was advised to halve her handicap because they're only playing half the number of holes. So she's got to the end of it and only had eight points and was a bit down in the dumps that eight <laughs> wasn't any good. <laughs> yeah. And I suggested to her, what's this halving of the handicap because you're halving of the holes thing? I mean, because I play off 10 doesn't mean – if I only play nine You're holes, playing off five. and they happen to be the hardest nine holes, I only get five shots. Like you get 18, you get half your handicap. You get 18 shots for nine holes, as opposed to playing off a handicap of 18 for nine holes. And it just occurred to me that we make golf tricky, and I think mm.
0: we
2: do it on purpose. Is it, is
0: it possible <laughs> that we overcomplicate golf, Phil? Is that your point?
2: Well, well, well to, I, I have a giggle at times about just the scoring systems of sports in general, because Try explaining like a layman a tennis score first time round very difficult, right? And then try then fast forward that as you, to your point, Philip, to golf. You got pars and birdies and bogeys and double bogeys and albatrosses, and like it, it's it's ridiculous in a lot of ways.
1: I like the tennis scoring system. I don't necessarily <laughs> like the golf scoring system, but I like the the fact that there's some homage to like Stableford. If Stableford had a French name, then I'd be all over it. Le because, stable you know, Fed but why does it,
2: yeah, go, why does yeah, it go 30, then 40? Why isn't it 45 if they're going up by 15? It's it,
1: it goes to 11.
2: It's very much like the it, – <laughs> it's just
0: it's like the arbitrary numbers that are being uh, being thrown about to uh, create laws in this COVID era film.
1: <laughs> why, no, post-COVID era. But, oh, sorry. You know, why don't you just make 10 louder? It goes to 11. It's, a, it, it's just – it's 40. Because sure. in French, they sound cool. Mm. Yeah, well, that's
2: true. Oh, oh, you, don't a mm.
1: you don't want to cut on 5. You don't want to cut on 5. You want to cut on. <laughs> it, it, it just has to roll and the love. you got to love the love. Anyway, but Stableford, <laughs> if it was a it, Stableford. It it'd be fit, a lot angrier if it was in German, wouldn't it? If it was, yeah. <laughs> but if it was Le Stableford, then I would understand our scoring system completely. But just the number of new golfers coming into the game, something that, like Stableford is just not overly easy to understand. And maybe we just need better explanation. Is, is it
0: difficult to understand, or is it just poorly communicated?
1: I think it is the latter, and I just didn't want to put anyone in it. But the person in the pro shop who advised them to have their handicap caddy? for the nine hole competition.
0: What's Was that? Was it a former caddy?
1: <laughs> no, no, it, no, it wasn't. And in fact, I'd like you to stop caddy bashing for one podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, he's on my side now. Uh, Excellent. I've got a friend. Um, it's always you. <laughs> um, but but the fact that that was the advice from the expert in the pro shop was to halve your handicap. Yeah, let's move on. Anyway, mm. people, if you're playing nine hole competition, it's whatever your handicap is. Whatever your handicap is, look at the index, <laughs> and you'll be okay.
0: Now I've got one this boy, this week, boys. It's really I lose sleep over this. If I'm perfectly frank, so I hate when you when you're flushing it in a warm up. You're absolutely flushing it. Shall we call it? I don't know. Off camera. And then as soon as the word action is called, you start chunking at it. Fat, fat as anything. And then it gets captured and put all over our socials. Thank you, Kipper. Obviously, I'm talking about during our shoot last week for the Mizuno ES21 Wedge review that we're doing in
2: uh, preparation for season two. I hate when that happens. hate it. It's brilliant because you. I think that. Everyone just gets that little bubble inside of them, of anger because they know they can do better. <laughs> and but that's the one that counted. <laughs> I see it all the time. It's absolutely awesome, especially when you talk yourself up. Oh, I play a shot, great. especially when, and then when you just yeah.
0: And Phil's given it the whole. Know, you know, going. you know, good short game like uh, like Kipper or a good short game like Shooter, and then I come <laughs> out and I, and honestly, it had a train track behind it. <laughs> to the, after that first
2: shot. So, it's one of the great moments that was, though. I just, I mean, you, you basically, it, eh?
1: you missed the you missed the
2: ball by about three inches. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. But well, it's no, amazing was...
1: how far the ball can go with a divot hitting it. But <laughs> yeah. this is the, this yeah. is the people feeling. So what you've experienced is this idea. So so think about an amateur playing in a pro-am, mm. uh, assuming they're still allowed to happen given all the other tournaments being cancelled. So uh, an amateur playing in a pro-am or, or otherwise, and all of a sudden normally you're playing with a, a couple of, Mates, friends or, or associates or otherwise people who've got a vested interest in seeing you all go okay. Then all of a sudden these eyeballs on there where you know that at least half of them are saying, Miss it, Phil. Miss it. Miss it. Or they were to half. me, or in my mind. And this is what, what happens with people, Phil. This is the implied pressure. So then we get, we roll that out and extrapolate that out to a professional tournament. And we and I'm not going to go on about pressure that we've spoken about from the Masters and the USPGA and the US Open minus crowds. But there is no question there is an implied pressure there when you need to perform, Should it. we need you to hit this shot, ideally somewhere off the face. We didn't think it was a great expectation. However, with that added pressure of someone yelling action.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I know. just stuffed it
2: up. So, <laughs> I've got no problem know, with those cameras the, rolling
0: because you- I know we can go, oh, right, we'll do another take. It just frustrates the <laughs> hell out of me. So, anyway.
2: <laughs> I love it. Well, i got to hate uh, boys and, and it's it's only shit rare to Ted, I reckon, in the last week or two. I've been doing quite a few playing lessons on the course and getting out amongst it and I've just loved it. everyone's, well, coming out of COVID, everyone's carefree att- attitude. It's been brilliant. Everyone just doesn't care. They're, you know, taking their time, but you're letting you through if, if you needed to. Just, just gold. But- yeah, look, the last week or two, I've seen the, let's call it the fast-paced life we used to live, come back with a rush. <laughs> People are complaining about slow groups. People are jumping holes over the tees to get ahead to finish their nine before they have to roll into work. And, and when I say I hate it, I just hate how I'm watching, I'm literally watching life go back to the way it was right before my very eyes on a golf course. And there's a lot to not like about the hustle and bustle that, that we, we created and it's evaporating quickly.
1: There's a real challenge here for the game kipper, and and we appreciate your hate. And shooter and I are, are big believers in quick play. So we're kind of with. So so the issue is with the solution that people pursue, as opposed to the speed that they have to play with.
2: Well, it's it's not that – sorry. i probably probably not a word, Paul. It wasn't the pace of play I mean, that necessarily is 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 slower down. It's the it's people's calm. It's the energy. The, the energy
0: of people. You're um, saying that like, they're getting we, quite was, frenetic, rather
2: than, than yeah. Just I was playing nine holes in like an hour and 10, an hour and 20 with, with a playing partner, right? And it was, that we weren't rushing. It was just a, a carefree, you know, but if you weren't going at that pace, people were just happy to let you walk through or whatever. And But the, the difference now is there's a, I don't know, there's almost like this pent up anger of if you're waiting on a shot or, oh, that's it, I'm jumping across holes. or And it just wasn't there. It wasn't there coming out of COVID. Everyone was just so happy to be outside of their homes that they, they didn't care what what happened out there. Now, it's, it's, it's just back to rush in again.
1: Oh, yeah, we don't need that. Is there mm. a potential side effect of embracing new play? Like a lot of new players have come into the game. And this is not a negative side effect, but it's just something that is that is real. So so we embrace new players and we say, yes, we need new players in the game. But speed of play I- is something that is quite awkward when you're actually trying to concentrate like shooter was with those wedges on making contact. <laughs> so, so if all your focus goes into just hitting it, mm. then your focus comes off hitting it actually and you need to keep up. And and the words of my old man, one of the first couple of times I played with him at Heidelberg Golf Club in Melbourne was, hurry up, hurry up, people are behind us screaming at us until the first time I beat him. When from that point on, and I don't think he beat me again. It was me yelling at him, saying "Hurry, hurry! There are people behind us!" But you have to earn y- your stripes. But it's one of those things that mm. never actually gets spoken about or addressed. Welcome to the game, but just to let you know, this is like being in traffic. I'm not. You, know, yeah. you don't want to sit in the right-hand lane of a freeway doing seventy-five kilometres an hour.
0: But I'm not sure. No. I'm not sure it's only the new people coming to the game that are causing these issues, Phil. There's, I think it's the people oh. who, have, who have been in the game for so long that they take their own game too. Serious. Seriously. not saying don't take your game seriously at all but you take it too seriously and they put so much of it, you know so much pressure on every shot that it, as if it's the you know the world depends on it they take their time mm. they take far too long which are personally you know it's, it's a bit by the by, but I think that actually makes them play worse golf mm. which is why Phil actually using us is probably not a great example Phil because we play fairly quickly
1: <laughs> but and <laughs> and craply yes but, and there's but, a new but it's like
2: but it's what you do before the, yeah, before the ball, it, it, it's getting to the ball with not haste, but just with purpose rather than, you know, kicking the top of the daisies as you walk down and, you know, almost having no regard for anyone that might be behind you. You, you try, you know, you, you're damnedest to get to the ball in a decent amount of time then take a bit of time, hit the ball, move on. But yeah, the fact that people kind of, uh, I guess, just lose all of that and just mope around and then on top of that, take excessive lengths of time over the ball. That's what drives slow play. It's almost like they... They're, they're not thinking ahead. Like if you hit in the trap, you know, understand where your next shot might go, which is on the green or over the green if you thin it. So whereas you're walking up to the to the hole, leave your your buggy in a position where you can grab a club to go into the trap, but where then you could walk out and exit and get your buggy again. You see, so many of them, you know, leave it on the wrong side and just not even think of ahead of schedules. So I guess that's a, another another side. S- speaking
0: all. of schedules, uh, that delves straight into my love this week, boys. I love good news. I love good news, <laughs> and the good news that we've, got, we've received recently, or that we've, we've um, announced recently, I should say, is Golf Barons back on Foxtel for Season 2 and on KO, and Season 2 scheduled on Fox Sports uh, Linear channels this time around too, boys, so that's a big win for us. And can you just clarify what linear means? Yes, well, you think of this, <laughs> we'll have a scheduled time, Dion. You
2: can sit ah, there and you can watch us see. at a certain time. When By the way, that was for the viewers, not me. Oh, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> and they're not viewers, they're listeners. Yes, anyway, you're going well. <laughs> and the other bit of good news
0: is our announcement of our um, of flame distribution uh, deal that we've got going. That's basically going to expose golf bands to more people all around the world and help us in our little quest to make this game a little bit more fun, a bit more enjoyable, as well as more informative and entertaining.
1: And over to you, Phil. Hmm. Well, I love your love. Shoulder, so that's what I'm going to start with. I love but that you love I also love, love – he, he's, he's now, this is a reverse love-hate. Now, normally I go the hate-love. Operation Champ, I love knowing that I've got a specific drill to work on as part of Operation Champ, and there's been a lot of person asking about how Operation Champ is going. <laughs>
2: has, any, has anyone asked?
1: Your one, your one, one person has asked. <laughs> that's why I said a lot of person. And, in fact, they're not overweight, so it's actually just <laughs> one person. But so you've got a drill and you're working on a drill and I'm loving the focus of working on one drill. Kipper gave me a soccer ball and so that's very nice. I think
0: he's trying to tell you <laughs> Kipper, to give up golf, Phil.
1: But there was a there was a little there's a little hate element where you think you're going okay and everything's coming together and you're like, oh, I'm working hard, I'm working hard, and someone even commented, Gee, you look like you're working on something, yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> you say to Kipper, Hey, what do you think? I'm working on this thing, I think it's really coming along and he goes, No, nah, that's okay. good." <laughs> <laughs> so So after like after after four weeks of step one of Operation Champ, where I actually had been in the backyard practicing, not even hitting balls, just trying to get the movement right, and I was really excited to announce to Kipper that I think I'm really getting it, and he's gone, no, nah, you've got to try this. It where was perfect it, practice, it, practice, Phil. Uh, as I
2: say, we be honest in the coaching bubble, uh, it, was, it was getting there, it just wasn't right. <laughs> no,
1: there was no encouragement at all. You I just said, no, nah, that's not it. In fact, your words were, no, that's not it. Well, just because I was trying to juggle the ball with my foot. I, I anyway, that's my that's my love. It's a love-hate. So thanks, Kipper, but Operation Champion is well underway and we'll touch on that in a second. Yeah. So, Kipper, do you love anything? Do you love I do. anything? No, I, I love lots, lots of things. He loves things, cutting but you but down I, people,
2: No, people will think this is a complete stitch-up and a uh, cross-promotion, but you know what I'm loving? I'm loving my new blueprint irons because I've never hit a blade that's more forgiving y- You have. Life.
0: Seriously, yeah, yeah. Fil- filming last week, I was in the cart with Kipper, and he—I will say—crapped on. He crapped on about it for nearly forty <laughs> minutes. Oh, well, probably not, because but at least I- at least half an hour, just telling me like no, seriously, like, I, like I'm serious. These oh, seriously, and he just kept going on, and I'm like, I get it, mate. And, and I know you, they're I'll really, really good.
2: What shocked shocked me the most is that I think because I'm. Getting older and less stretchy and just crapper. I um I've just accepted almost that I'm just going to continue to hit the ball poorer and poorer for the rest of my life. But over the last period of time, a few months I'm talking since I got the weapons, it's like my strikes come back. Now I know I'm really still not hitting it any better, but the fact I'm not getting shown up as much. You know, when you miss hit a blade, you're quite easily five to seven yards short. But I'm <laughs> pinned high on on shots where I know I've mishit them. 100% miss mm. them and got you know decent look at birdie or, or, or something and and normally I'd be in a front bunker so I'm really noticing and, and it's making me enjoy it i got to be honest it's made me enjoy it more because it it's given me some space to be not as good
0: and and the thing is that those ping blueprint irons look magical as well don't they that's the so thing. that's the thing for me, that you're getting that you're mm. getting that relief on shots but it still looks like a real blade a real club
2: mm. and, and it as I said, like the technology, Phil will be able to fill me right in on what's going on, but technology must be there, but it's still as thin. The top line is still as thin. The blade is not as long as as even some of the other blades I've played. It's, it's actually quite a small head, but it, as I say, I just feel like I can hit it all over the face <laughs> and, and it's okay. Whereas this it this n- is
1: coming from someone who is not a product guy. This, this, I'm fascinated by this because you, mm. you've declared you're not a product guy. This is no. the first time I think ever I've heard you rave about a huh. driver other than something you used in 2001 when you dropped a name. Oh, at the time I was playing against Phil Mickelson all the time. <laughs> you know, One of those rubbish. Oh, Celine Dion, something Jenna Jamison. Anyway, <laughs> but this was the th- – this is the only time I've ever actually heard you raving about product and I, I love it because I think I'm bringing you to the product side. Of the force well, well away you, from
2: the. You keep putting these side. things in me hands, and I'll be there. I go, I, I give you the tip anyway. That That's is awesome. my my love, and uh, as I say, people think I'm uh, sugar coating that because ping are my my team, but I'm flabbergasted how good they are.
1: Or flabbergasted, depending or on it. how you're going at the time. But you actually yeah. nailed that, which is concerning. Do because. they make you feel jittery?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, General, M- General Morn, whatever I said. Earlier. Anyway, carry let's on. move along, <laughs> lads. Let's get into some things
0: that now this so this could, this could go under my hate. Or it could go into a game changer, or it could go into a top topic, Phil. Because, all right, Just I'm going to throw it at you, boys. <laughs> and it's it's something it gets on my goat. So, Golf Australia. Now, we love Golf Australia. You know, there's some things about it we'd like to uh, like to you know adjust, but we know that these guys have a stated aim to grow the game. Right. And we know it gets its funding through from golfers, from the Australian Sports Commission, which is, is, you know, ostensibly the it's ostensibly governing uh, government funding. Now, I'd like to see instead of these flowery ad campaigns and and pandering to the SJWs and the woke brigade, how about we actually do something more active in this space? I'd like to see them invest their coin campaigning, campaigning local councils if they have to, but into having some more of these iconic. Or popular public courses redesigned or revamped by known golf course architects. Let's spruce them up a bit. Let's make the game, the actual experience of golf, more enjoyable for for all people. And you'll grow the game naturally. And you know, if if that's the real objective that that they tell us they're um on about, which I believe that it is, let's make it better at the you know ground at the absolute coal face of the sport.
1: Anyway. Now I don't want to I don't want to dismiss your comment in any way, shape, or form. Oh. But I just need to get back to the start of this. Oh so, dear. is an SJW a Sonny Jill Williams? Is that <laughs> social? <laughs> uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Okay. So, 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 so the question is Sonny Jill. The question is around Golf Australia's edict and their and their purpose and reason for it, because their their edict is to grow the game, and plonking a new golf course or a let's a redesigned golf course will not necessarily execute that versus, for example, getting building as an alternative driving ranges or of getting kids with schools or giving out clubs to kids with schools or doing, you know, first tee Mm. program as an example, you know, when you look at cities' work, investing in that um, from a first tee point of view. So it actually depends, one, on defining what their remit is, but them committing to what their remit is. And I think that's that's really the point is where wastage and where money can go that potentially could better deliver. Yeah, but you see, Phil, the the reason I've gone along the track of
0: redesigning, revamping these public courses is um, the idea came after reading about an an old beloved course in the um, Muni course, municipal course in the U.S. called Overton Park. It's in it's in Memphis, I think. Yeah, and it's being overhauled by a group or a company called King Collins Golf. Now this is 114 years old, this public course. So it's got a really long history. And apparently the community has, after the announcement, has become really excited about it. A ton of people are writing into the architects with old stories sort of reminiscing about being introduced to the course and playing as kids and playing, you know, with their kids and then playing with their grandkids. It's got me thinking, it's no different here. These public courses are where most of us, if not all of us, cut our teeth in the game. And and I just think we need to ensure that they remain as relevant and as much of an attraction to the newer players coming into the game, like a real draw card. If you make the course, if you make a course and the actual experience of playing better, not only are you going to get more people into the game, you're going to get more people coming back to the game. You're going to – see. it's not just – you know, you know what I mean. You know, we're not just pandering to a certain group, wherever it might be, and saying and throwing all of our investment behind that group. We're trying to make a better for everyone, and just let the chips fall where they may.
2: Well, that's, 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 there's there's merit to it. The only issue that I have with that is that you know, you, if you might improve a golf course. But there's only that certain amount of people that live or go there or have got a history with it that will then, you know, reinvest their time and and yes, that will grow the game, but it probably won't grow it as ex, I guess as exponentially as other options unless you did heaps of courses in that in that kind of same milk. So it's probably just a almost a too big a spend, though, Daves, don't you think, if you had to do that to, you know, three two three hundred courses? Well, I'm not saying you do, you do it to
0: some of the main – like Burnley – I'll let you go off on um, on Burnley, for example, Burnley Golf Course, and if they can mm. invest in that and how many people would get through that. It doesn't have to be – I'm not saying go and do it to every public course, but also trying to get ways to, you know, through local yeah. local governments to get involved. I just think it's it's an – I think it's a part that's being overlooked – that could be. That could really generate some.
2: Yeah, well, that that part I really that, that I really agree with. Like something like um, a really small track. You know, everyone around Australia's probably got their own little course that they know of. There's one under the West Westgate Bridge here in um, in Melbourne. That's tiny, very short course. There's also one near where I live called Burnley Golf Course. That's really small. And all that happens with those courses, very sad, is they end up mm. getting chopped up into par threes because. Outside of their um, boundaries, other oh, houses get built or there's a train or there's something and, and it's all, all litigation gets gets sorted and, and it's the end of the world. So what does need to happen there, and that's further to your point there, I totally agree with Council's Golf Courses and Golf Australia and everybody getting involved in trying to keep these courses as up-to-date and playable, uh, i.e. not just have a... 320 metres hitting off the synthetic yeah. tea that they do to these places, it just destroys them. Is keeping them, you know, as you say, wholesome. I just think that that's going to be a, a teamwork, and maybe that's 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 kind of where you're headed at um, with this, It's a team, and to do that, the council has to get involved, the government has to get involved, Golf Australia has to get involved, and that has to be a bigger, I suppose, um, directive from all of those. And, and to be
0: fair, I don't think Golf Australia is ill intentioned with its current policy, but I just think it's a bit misguided and a bit a bit short sighted, you know. It's in it my opinion they'd be better off spending or targeting kids getting kids into the game than pouring all their energy into into you know just focusing on women playing I mean, is is it possible that women just in general just don't love golf as much as men do in general and and i don't mean that. i just mean that in the same way that women seem to be more interested in netball than men are in netball no matter how much you throw at
2: it yeah. discuss look I, I don't i don't know I, I think i think it's it's a bit of everything there like i think there's a there's a huge argument for the fact that there's not as many girls or 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 women invested in the sport because Yet again, it is so male-dominated that that's a lot of the time. That's uncomfortable, right? So you, no one wants uncomfortability when they go to do something that's supposed to be a leisure activity, right? So so there's a fair bit of merit in making it more accessible to everybody. It should be the same. And
0: I think it should be exact exactly the same uh, for uh, everyone. I hundred percent agree with you on yeah. that.
2: Days. So so when I look at a course, I think I get very disgusted at times at the way that they have all these rules in place for for children. You know, I have kid under you know twelve here. You know, on course. Under this age, like it's a joke when we're trying. Like it's, tr- they try to make things so exclusive that they end up <laughs> losing the war because that—that's how people become invested mm-hmm. with their families, mm-hmm. right? I know one of the courses we we were filming at in season one a lot uh, Eastern. They they very kid orientated. You know, great. They had even a little games mm-hmm. room and they had par three course and they'd really set up. The, the process there to have a family come and join, right? And that's further to your point, I suppose we're getting off to- topic here, but I guess sometimes there's so many things that can be done to help grow this game that no one knows where to start. It needs to start from one thing, and that's inclusion. I mean, this sport is still so exclusive. You, you say that, though, um, Deeds, but in what way is it exclusive mm-hmm. now? For, for, for example, I can't walk onto most courses anywhere in the country, right, in normal clothes. Private courses?
0: Countries. Or are you talking public Any courses?
2: Any course. Some publics as well. Because I probably, think there is a
0: genuine right. difference between a public course and a private course.
2: Of co- course there is, yeah, right? But people have, have such a, a longing to make their club exclusive, right, because that's how they all retain their members and that's how – that it ends up becoming so stale and, and terrible. Right? So One of the most – sorry, you go. I was going to say playing playing devil's advocate
0: then, if it's just the – okay, if we're just talking about dress, take dress out of it because mm-hmm. anyone can get a
2: polo if you have to get a polo.
0: How is it exclusive or is it, is it excluding other people from playing or kids from playing? Well, or? It,
2: I think it's excluding them via almost the attitude that's – portrayed amongst the entire club so to give you an example if you roll up to most courses you get in the car park right you, as soon as you go to talk to anyone it's almost like you're not allowed to talk you have to be really quiet right you go into a pro shop or into a bar deathly silent right? you sit there not allowed to say anything you got to um take your hats off and do all the, the right things and you're waiting to get into trouble mm. That's all you're doing. You're waiting to get in trouble. You don't know what you've done wrong, but you know you're going to get in trouble for something, right? <laughs> and that's just how you feel. That, that, that's the reality. But is that
0: an exclusionary a- thing, or is that more just an atmospheric thing? Is that just people are miserable it's- at golf clubs?
2: <laughs> no, I think I think it's an I think it's well I think it's a more of an ex- exclusion thing because when you go to a course that's not like that, right? And I've been very fortunate to go to some of the richest golf courses in the world that aren't like this. Right? There's one in, in America called Whisper Rock. Where mm-hmm. Mark Calcavecchia cha- practices with no top on. Now that probably shouldn't be allowed because he <laughs> See, there hasn't limits. got a great body. The old the old Calc. Uh, I saw it one day and I nearly fell over. It was horrendous. But point is, they you rock up to the golf course and there's music going, there's talking, there's d- the general attitude amongst all the workers there is different because they're allowed to be different, and that I think then kind of. Almost self fulfilling. You don't feel like you're going to get in trouble, and you let your hair down more. And of course, you're encouraged to bring your little kid, and they can come and have a, you know, ham and cheese sandwich with dad at lunchtime while he's doing practice. And I think there's just a lot to do with, I really do, the general attitude, and therefore everybody getting involved to try to make it grow. So it
0: seems to me that it's more of a cultural issue than it is an exclusionary issue.
1: Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. I tell you, I've I've been quiet, and I've listened, and I've had enough. Because here was one of my top topics. When will golf stop apologizing for what it is and embrace its diversity? So inclusivity is also about diversity. And I'm going to give you this example. And there's there's been a few things come out that I'll get onto. And the question is, why can't golf both be inclusive and exclusive? A fine dining restaurant, mm-hmm. okay, you're obliged to wear a jacket. Sorry, sir, you must have a jacket to come and dine here. And you must actually have pants and socks and shoes you must not be able to have bare skin. I'd like you to have a shirt on underneath the jacket. And if you could, probably don't stick. So do we (laughs) knock that restaurant or demand that how dare that restaurant that serves a beautiful degustation menu and has the best wine list in the world, how dare they exclude me just because I don't have a jacket or don't like wearing socks or a T-shirt when I go out to dinner? No, what we do is we say, if I don't want to wear a jacket, I don't go there. I don't demand that they change. But that means no one goes to golf
2: courses, Phil.
1: Hang on. But I'll get to I'll get to the golf course thing. So therefore, if I go to to your point about Whisper Rock, I choose Whisper Rock because I want that feel and I know oh. what I'm going getting in. Mm-hmm. Yes. But if I'm going to play golf at Royal Sydney as an example, what I don't do, knowing full well the dress code of an exclusive club, is don't be turning up with black socks and shoes, and you have an obligation to understand that we have a dress code because that is what we've chosen to do as a private club mm-hmm. and why people are desperate to go and play it and say, I've ticked Royal Sydney off my list. Don't go there, be told you can't wear black socks and shorts, and then take off on a rant mm. demanding that the world changes or that golf changes because it's bullshit. What needs to happen, sorry, shoot what needs to happen is that you need to just go, you know what? What's wrong with wearing white socks? Maybe this is not my target. Mm. The problem would be, though, is if 90% of golf opportunity said you had to wear black, you couldn't wear black socks with shorts and you couldn't do this. But in reality, it's 10% says you can't do this stuff. Mm. Now, Pareto says that we're therefore going okay, yet golf apologizes continually for the exception, not for the rule. And golf needs to start waking up and saying, we're proud of the inclusivity of the game. Look at the all abilities, yeah? Getting women, getting girls into the game. Critical for the game, to grow the game. But what's more critical is that they discover the game and if they want to discover it, the game sticks. And golf is sticky enough that if people just discover it because they want to, they'll hang on to it. If it's force-fed to them, it loses its stickiness because Oof. the magical thing about the game is is. Now, now we are lucky enough to be playing Royal Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. I'm excited by immediately knowing I know how to dress when I'm going to a private golf course. I look at their dress regulations to make sure that I'm not going to bugger it up just in no. case I'm not allowed to wear white with blue. That's exciting <laughs> to me. but that-
0: But I think that's also the difference between a private club and a public club or a publicly owned club, Phil. Yes. Yeah. So going back to your restaurant analogy, and I think it's – I think it's a, I'm, couldn't agree with you more on it, that these are the rules of this private company or this private club, abide by them or find somewhere yeah. else to play. Now, the culture, if enough clubs – if clubs are putting up obstacles to stop people from playing – if people don't want to play, they won't they don't want to put up with those obstacles, they just won't they'll they'll walk away and go somewhere else. And then those com- then those companies or those private courses will need to change their policies in order to keep the people coming through the door. So it really is a, it's a supply and demand thing, But it But is
1: it is it bad sorry, but is it bad for golf that there is this diversity? I think it's one of golf's great gifts that there is diversity. Mm. I can play golf at any point in time wearing thongs, a pair of boardies, and a singlet, or I can play golf… Anything on your feet. …wearing a Hugo Boss suit. Yeah. And Footjoy Classic. Yeah. But name another sport where you have this this enormous diversity and, in fact, golf at its roots… Was the most inclusive. Look at St Andrews, and the home of the, mm. the home of yeah. golf. I mean, there's no but, big but, fences and piss but, off gates.
2: But, but I reckon that I reckon that there lies the issue, though. With it, Phil, is that people reckon or not reckon? Maybe it's it's just a, as, as Dame said, more of a cultural problem. Is that people start to get in their head that if you want to be good golfer, or if you want to play a good golf course, or if you you know want to play a, a I guess a, a better place, you must go to somewhere that has these rules and behave this way and therefore, let's call it lesser clubs or dodgy clubs, try to put those kind of rules in and make people feel awkward when it's not needed. I think they're doing it so that they're trying to lift their status, lift their, their um. I don't know what you call it, their, yes, their, at- but in a lot of ways they're losing their war because the people that would like to be joining in and not feeling out of place. And, and you yeah, know, furthermore, when you go to a golf tournament, I, I find that very confronting at times when all the signs go up and be quiet. And, and if you take someone who's never have a, had golf um, shown to them before, right, you know, professional golf, it, it is a bit of a laugh, right, because they can't do anything and you just spend the whole day, you know, or don't move. Or oh, don't don't not say anything. Oh, hang on, he's two hundred meters down the field, but he can see you. He can see happened? you move. Like it's actually ridiculous.
1: That's a cracking point you make. It is like being so going to so this is but this is very different. So let's not tar the playing of the game. Yeah. And the professional game. So, but I think they're really good points. Going to a watch a professional golf tournament is equivalent or akin to going to a funeral. You have to check your Mm -hmm. your behaviour. You have to check your phone, make sure it's on silent. You have to check all these other things. The only thing you're mourning, though, is watching a shank or watching a missed three-foot putt. But let's not not separate or or, or equate what goes on there and all the things around Mm. that. Because if I go, I mean, other than in Seinfeld, if I go and watch surgery... I don't go there with music blaring and yeah. singlet and all, all the other things, and thinking mm-hmm. that I can just use my phone whenever. Now he's about to make the critical incision in the I don't know left ventricle, and then all of a sudden your phone goes off. Yippee, woo, woo, woo. So so <laughs> it's about being respectful of profession. But getting back to the getting back to golf, I saw another tweet, and this one really—if you thought that one pissed me off, this one really pissed me off. And this is golf apologising for itself. Donald Trump losing the election. Was good for golf, because it proves the game was not just played by fat, rich, white men in golf carts. Are you kidding me? Yeah. This is someone. So, so this is from someone though, Kipper, in a position of mm. of authority, someone who's actually got the ears of people in the game, because we can't stop apologising for fear of Sonny Jill Williams or any of the others getting on our back. <laughs> so, this is th- there's actually a, a significant issue with this, because if you tell Charlie Sifford. That golf was only played, or Calvin Peat. That golf was only played by rich white men driving around in golf carts. Mm. Seriously, I mean, you tell that to Jimenez. You tell that to it's so disrespectful, Stieros, isn't it? Tell yeah. that to Trevino. Rich white men driving carts, and this is someone who exists and lives in the game. I mean, you're kidding me. So golf has to stop apologizing for every step and say, you know what? One of the great things about golf, we've got super exclusive clubs where you're lucky if you even ever get a hit like Cathedral Lodge and half the place Damo's played without giving me an invite, <laughs> and and let alone you. So we've got super exclusive and we've got super accessible. If you want a disco club, we've got, we've got was it Shadow Creek? Or Whisper Rock. Whisper Rock, Shadow Creek. Shadow Creek's pretty good too, but you want a disco club, go to Whisper Rock if you want a club where you're actually allowed to just celebrate being alive, go and play here. Go. What? How's the diversity there? Do I hear anyone, mm. Royal South Yarra Tennis Club, tennis club in Melbourne, do I hear everyone demanding that because of Royal Saying, South Yarra I Tennis, tennis Club there? and Kooyang, yeah, exactly. Royal Kuyong Tennis Club, that tennis is exclusive and should be banned from having to wear what? No, they say... You know what? If you want to play on the best grass courts in the world, you're going to have to go there, and you're going to have to wear white, and you're going to have to wear proper tennis shoes, and if you want dinner afterwards, you're going to have to wear a jacket. Oh, wow! That all sounds part of the experience. When do we have to apologise for part of the experience? <laughs> golf, seriously, give yourself an uppercut, golf. <laughs> don't apologize for what you are, but understand there are weaknesses and that we need to keep growing the game, Kipper, to your point. And we need to attract everyone to the game, but we don't need to force them to the game. We need to give them enough reason to come. And I think the diversity is unbelievable. It is like restaurants. I, I've got fine dining and I've got drive through with Tiger. And mm. at any point in time, I want to be able to have a crack at both.
2: But that, like, it's almost a, the first time I've heard that word like that. That That's almost a great ad campaign in itself.
0: It really is. Dead set. That's the greatest well, thing you've ever you've ever delivered. It, a bit it, of content you've ever delivered it,
2: for us, Where's that when we have well, the cameras? Because, exactly right. Where was that in season one and two? Um, <laughs> it, 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 it gives us a chance then to have an individual. Where do I fit? Yeah. You know, what, what What do I like? Oh, geez, I yeah. like me. Or, where exactly. do I want right. to feel? Not, Who are you? Not yeah, yeah. what systemically happens, which is, oh, gee, can I get on there? Or, well, what do I have to wear? Or, oh, is that, am I allowed? Like, And that, I think that's the shift that, that kind of needs to happen is we need, as you say, that's a, that's a really good way to, 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 to work it. And we may
1: well find in season two or potentially season three that we head down this track. But you should be able to plonk yourself, and there should be a guide. So, And just as an extension, and so I can get off my rant, and, Shooter, I will let you speak, and sorry to keep cutting you off, is that there? just as there are ski runs and there are double black diamond and there's the other one, which I don't know what I'm doing because I don't ski, but apparently there are little tags that each little ski run gets depending on whether you're a bunny or a hoppy. So really a golf course, in giving an indicator, there should be Tinder-type program for golf courses that said, so what's golf to you? Is it a bit of hit chase? Mm. Is it refinement? Is it this? Is it that? Where we say, actually, you know what? If you're looking for a public course, based on what you've said, Whisper Rock is you. Mm. And I'm, I'm sorry if we don't all live in in the US, but you know, and there'll be an equivalent. Well, that's in private. Melbourne that's a little bit. Yeah, you no, know, mm. but it's private, but it's relaxed. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah sorry, sorry. So, no, so a little
1: bit know. of course and, and people matching that says, you know, what's golf to you? Because I can tell you at the moment is that even though golf is the devil and it's all exclusive and, oh, golf's the devil, golf's the devil, oh, it's so anti-woke, it's so anti-this, it's so anti-that, talk to the premium golf clubs around the country that for the first time have got significant waiting lists because what that tells me is that there is a chunk of the market that has a thirst for the decorum and the etiquette and the rules, and we spoke about this with celebrities, one of the reasons they choose golf is because for the first time in their lives, they're given boundaries, they're given rules to play by. They still want to relax and they still want to cruise around, but th- th- it is a game for life and it's an educator.
0: Mm.
1: It's a game that defines character. It almost becomes a uh,
0: self-perpetuating. That the more that we push a narrative that oh, golf stale, it's got these issues and it's it, the people start to believe it and they reinforce it over and over and eventually, and that it, it gets stuck mm. in that rather than going as you've just said, Phil. Right, enough with that here are the options, choose what you want to do and and let's just all grow this game together and enjoy it instead of getting stuck on this old trope of the old, old white men, fat, rich people, blah, blah, blah.
2: But that th- there goes back to the marketing side of things. I would love for that option for people to, you know, you, you choose your destiny type thing for a golf course but, but not have the one that you rock up in in your thongs and your singlet be any of a lesser, oh, that's, oh, that's the crap course that's the only thing that we've got to break here is that people think they have to go to you know these exclusive clubs and dress and feel and not say a word to play a good golf course you don't you know you can make you can make that environment anywhere and and, and it doesn't have to be oh that's a good golf course because you have to dress up and that's a bad golf course because you don't you don't have to dress up if we can switch that line of thinking where it's just a golf course some are good that you don't have to you know go, go and behave you know crazily straight and some are because that's what you want to do and you want a nice fine dining experience and then 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 we we're going to win the war
0: how much how much would it suck playing 18 holes in thongs
2: well not ask mark howard i played play <laughs> with would him be horrendous hey, did you uh, just slip in a name drop thing? yeah i think there's a, yep. l- there was a little ding, there's it, only a little thing through it he loves playing in his thongs
1: Loves it. But but there's there's also just just at the last point on, on the rant, is we're also gonna clearly define what a club is and what a course is. And so you can't what you can't have is a golf club private that has variable dress code unless everyone knows that just dress what you like. And I had this idea and I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast. How good would a professional golf tournament be where go get whatever sponsors you can and dress in whatever you want? Mm. Because imagine on the first tee, as we've said, when you've got Ricky Fowler Sitting in a pair of Ockies, you know, he's got, or he's got Billabong on board or he's got Quicksilver on board and he's got some golf thongs, all the way through to, you know, Luke Donald sitting there sponsored by Hugo Boss with a Hugo Boss suit, you know, with a little bit of lycra to help him swing. But if you want to celebrate diversity, <laughs> why don't you take the handbrake off? I mean, there are some other – and again, it's probably a little bit signalling, but take the handbrake off and let other things be representative of mm. – of the way the world works. But the minute you have a golf club or a golf environment where everyone there is expecting, if you go to McDonald's, here's an example I was given many years ago. If you go to McDonald's and you've got crap all over the floor, then you doubt the food. But if you go to McDonald's and you've got white tablecloths and silver service, you still doubt it because that's not what McDonald's is, Mm. Mm. drive through or otherwise. So you just need to deliver, like even though one's at the lower end and one's at the higher end, they both don't deliver on what McDonald's is and this is what what the expectation is. So if I'm going to Raw Melbourne, I know that I'm going in there, you know, almost to the point of, you know what, I might wash my car the day before I go in there just so that the mirror doesn't fall off halfway down the driveway because <laughs> that tape's a bit dodgy. But it's part of the journey. It's part of that, that uniqueness. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to drag golf down because a Royal Melbourne exists. That's it. But just as a Burnley should exist, uh, and to all the other points that are made, just as a Whisper Rock should exist, a Royal Melbourne should exist. And I do oh. want to play Royal Sydney. And oh. I will look at the dress code of Royal Sydney and I will honour it to the T and I'll enjoy it and I'll marvel at it. Now, I might not want to play there again. But Jill, enjoy that taste when I get the opportunity, and that's what golf is. Because I'm not going to go to Pine Valley, and whinge that I was asked to wear white socks with my shorts, mm. or even whinge that I, my socks were a little bit too short and I had to buy a new pair. It's because that's the majesty of playing Pine Valley. By the way, turn your phone off. Almost leave it in your car. Don't do this. Keep up with the group in front. Don't do business on the golf course. And if the caddy says you're not up to it, you walk off. <laughs> How amazing is that? That those rules exist. <sighs> Whew. Wow. <laughs> He's passionate oh. about it. I like it.
0: I need to lie down after that, Phil. Now, ah. Listen up. Again. Shooter, to you. Oh, I, just, I think it's time to, to to move on to another topic here, boys. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: what I was gonna say. I was just looking for the intro. So so Kipper.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> if caddies were banned from reading putts, hmm. what more what's the in? net impact on scores, on psychology of golf pros, and more importantly, have you, who have you come across in your, your journey or what have you come across whereby you said you do a lot of the green reading for them or you do no green reading for them? And I know we've got a, a tale from the tour coming up, but what makes someone a great green reader and what would happen if caddies were told they couldn't anymore?
2: Well, there's a few questions in there. I'll go with the yeah, first one. I can't remember what happened. <laughs> what, 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 what would happen if they didn't read many? It, it, a lot depends on how good the player was at it himself. Anyway, some players second guess everything, right, and therefore need a heap of information and confidence, and that 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 makes them trust a line or trust a, a break. So I, I don't know if it would make players better or worse. But as a whole, it would make a player probably better because they end up just having to trust themselves more. So that's there's the first one. The second one of yeah, I guess would more so would the game be sped up or would it be um, improved in any way, shape, or form on the main to it? Well, absolutely. If they didn't weren't allowed to read putts because the player would just have to pick and shoot, and most of the time they'd just pick and shoot, and it mightn't be the right line, but they'd just have to pick something, wouldn't they? Right. And the third one, what was the third thing you said? I
1: can't something. even remember. What makes someone a great green reader? Yeah. And this is the most. This is the probably the most critical one for everyone listening. Is that what? What is it? that can, you know, without prancing around, what is it that can make or separates the great green readers from the guys who or girls who, who literally have no idea?
2: I would say it's purely an ability, right, To not to pick a line. It's to pick the speed that, that the putt's going to break at in the last six foot of its, of its journey. Now, most people that are terrible putters, i.e. a beginner, They don't even think about the last sort of four, five, six feet. they just, oh, there's the target. They think in straight lines, point A to point B and just hit it, all right? They don't think of that journey being, you know, really quite fast for the first part, but then dying pace and and then breaking. The great green readers that I've seen and the great putters like your Crenshaw's, your Badleys, these guys, they really think about what the ball's going to do when it starts to break, not just... Because half of your putt doesn't really break most of the time, right? You know, you're hitting it through, it might might camber a little bit, but basically it doesn't break. Second part of your break putt breaks heaps. So, therefore, understanding pace in that area and what you want to do to that pace makes you a great putter. Now, there's never been a greater example than than Bads and Crenshaw in terms of how different those guys putt. Crenshaw's a die putter, he makes the ball roll in on on pretty much the last roll. And Bads is, is a back of the cup slammer. He just loves the ball hitting the back of the cup and falling in. It's just the way he sees lines of putts. So when those two stand over an identical six footer that breaks uh, right left, it, Crenshaw's putt will break you know inches more than Badley's will because of the way they both foresee that. I guess energy going into the into the hole. So when I look at great putters, you can just tell the, the way that they're thinking about their putt. They even walk some of them halfway up the, up the putt, right? So they've got like a 20 footer and they'll come to the 10 foot, foot mark and practice a few strokes from there. Cause that's where it starts to take its, its camber. And that's where they'll feel, mm, gee, that's going to break a little bit more than I thought or not as much and, and come back. And therefore, when it comes to green reading, yes, you can look at a putt. From every six ways from Sundays, but what you really should be doing is looking more around the hole than anywhere else. Right? Not especially when you've got a forty footer. I've seen people, <laughs> you know walk on the double sides of forty footers. they look at one end, they look at the other end, and all of a sudden they're walking eighty feet around a green. <laughs> and what they should be doing, really, is just walking straight to the midpoint to the breakpoint and then all around the cup and just having a good look at what that forty footer is going to do in its last six to ten feet. Because really, From 40 feet, unless you're putting on on elephant mounds, you can pretty much hit a ball at a hole. And as long as you've got the pace right, you're going to have three to six feet left, aren't you? Unless it's breaking off its head. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just on on your first
0: question there, Phil, about um, caddies being banned from reading putts, at what point in a career do players start playing with a caddy?
2: Mm, Yeah, good point. Well, I'll answer that again. I would say as soon as you basically have any club championship or or Ivo in this country, Ivo Witten, um, you yeah, know, amateur tournament, people start to get a caddy because they, I don't know, think it's needed. I suppose, but more times than not, at that level, it's it's hinders.
0: So they're and already then- they're already good enough. They're already competent enough with their putting and their green reading to have gotten to that point anyway, aren't they? A-
2: absolutely. And and that's one thing that I, as a caddy, tried to instill in my players. I would sit them down the first time that we kind of met and talked about our strategy and, and our strengths and weaknesses as players and caddies together of what I would like to see them do more of and what I'm prepared to do. Um, and that on the green, I'd have a very big discussion with my players straight away and I would say, you read every putt, right? You read every putt and if you don't know where it goes, or you're second-guessing yourself on the, the amount of gradient, then call me over. But don't call me over on every putt and get me crouching on every ball, and it's not because I didn't want to. <laughs> it's because they're second-guessing themselves and therefore second-guessing their own pace because this this is a short story, but I've got to tell it. When you talk to someone about break lines on a putt, I have a laugh actually when I hear some caddies the way that they actually talk to players about a breaking putt. So say you've got a four-footer. And it's breaking right to left, right? And I hear someone say, "I hit it half ball on, hit it half a ball outside the right lip." What does that mean, right? Because I can hit it half a ball outside the right lip, Mm. but hit it with my golf swing that I hit with driver, and that thing isn't breaking it at all. I might even make it correct, and then exactly right. And then I could tap it one inch, and it's it's going to not even get there. So that doesn't help a, a player's brain understand distance. It understands accuracy. That comment. Okay, aim a half-inch out, okay, well, that's like a gun, right? So point at the star in the sky and aim your shotgun there, and then what, right? How far is the star away? No idea. And that's the same as when you look at a brake line. You've picked one half of the equation here. You've got your aim point. Now you need to figure out how hard you want to hit it to work to that putt. So some little rules that I used to put into place, Badger's really big one on this. He would say to me, you know, read the putt, say, same putt I'm talking about here, three, three four-footer, going uh, right, left, and he'd say, what do you see? And I'd come back to with him with comments like this. I'd say, okay, so if you're hitting the ball at dying pace where the last few rolls are going to fall into the front edge of the cup, you're going to need to put this about a ball and a half outside right lip as a starting point. And you go, no, I don't want to putt it that soft. I want to give it a bit more. I said, okay. So if you're going to give it a putt where you're going to, um, the ball's going to fall halfway down the back of the cup, right? So not hit the back edge, but halfway down the back of the cup, you're going to need to aim that about a ball outside right lip. He's like, and he might even say something. No, I want to chase this in these. I'm like, right. So if you're going to hit this firm and hit the back edge of the cup right and hard, you need to aim just outside right lip as your starting line, and that's it, mm. right? Now that might sound too technical for people, but that's real clarity as a player and a caddy on what you're trying to do. right? Just hit it right, lip means nothing. Mm.
1: Would you have more putts in a round or how many more putts in a round would you have if you had to back your gut feel, your immediate sense of just walking onto the green, marking it, putting the ball down, standing over it and hitting it? I mean, look- Without looking. There's there's lots of, there's too many variables. For most of us, there are too many variables. And one of the, Mm. the key variables, and I know we've spoken about this a lot over our podcast journey, one of the variables is, one is your ability to pick the line, two, speed, and be three, hit, that hit it on that line at that speed. Yeah. Now, I can't hit the middle of my club putter two putts in a row. So mm. I can be the best green reader and have all that. But in reality, another variable comes in, which is called human error. So ha- <laughs> have you ever done that to just say, I'm just not going to read a putt, even in a muck around, around and just go around and hit it? Yeah,
2: well, that's almost how I'm putting now <laughs> with some of my playing lessons because it's not about me, these playing lessons. It's about just it's helping. a you, Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do you it. just get like you're showing them X, Y, Z, and then all of a sudden your ball's sitting there 20 feet from the hole and that's all I do, walk over, don't even look at the – and just hit it. And I can honestly say I'll have more putts doing that. It's nowhere near as, as purposeful. But that's because I've trained for a long time to start a ball where I want it. Yeah. Right? And, and to judge distance. For most people that, that don't spend or haven't got the time to put into two or three hours of putting practice a week, you know, walking on the green and just literally looking and shooting is probably the best way to go.
1: Have you ever told one of your clients to just do that?
2: Yeah, I have. Quite a few of them because they start to get the heebie-jeebies. Like I find the worst are, are handicappers around the 20, 20 mark. You know, 30 handicappers don't trust themselves enough, so they just sort of hit it and hope, and they're happy to have two or three putts a, a hole teen handicappers and single fingers handicappers are usually quite good at distance control but the 20 marker has started to see what they should do you know per se they should line it up from both sides they should (laughs) plumb bob they should aim point they should and all of a sudden they're now getting super analytical over what is a pretty simplistic thing it's just knock it up somewhere there and if it goes in good on you and hopefully you have two putts a hole and if you hole one good Mm. on you so yeah that's I've definitely said it to a lot of the students around that level is you know what take some pressure off yourself. Have a look at the green from about thirty or forty meters away when you're walking up. As a general slope, front to back, left to right. Have a good look at the, the green from a long way away, and then just aim accordingly and, and give it a hit. Don't buy into it too much just yet until you understand more about what you're trying to do with the break. And yeah, and they, they find that relaxing almost.
1: And who is the best green reader you've ever seen? Is it fair to say that Crenshaw and Bads, or is that yeah, a, I'm
2: not so much I, Crenshaw? Oh, yeah, well, we did get to play a bit with Contrast And also, Faxon was amazing. Oh, jeez, I reckon Snedek is right up there. His ability to – was that? I said my boy. I'm a big big fan of the yeah, way he, he plays is, golf. He's he quick. He's really decisive. Like, he's- yeah. And obviously, I've spent heaps of time around bads. And, and Greg Chalmers is another really good green reader. Exceptional, actually. So, yeah, there's a few of them that, that hold that mantle. but And they all put pretty differently, too, with paces, which is I find – you know, really healthy. Yeah, you know, You've got Snedeker who's a, who's a short back swinger and a bit of a whacker. Um, you've got a good stroke putter in, in your Crenshaw and then more of methodical with your bad. So, they're all a bit different, but they are um they get the job done.
0: Would you recommend that sort of pop putting that Snedeker?
2: No. That's yeah. the one I teach my students not to do the most because if you think about, Phil will love this one, basketball analogy. If you've got a basketball in your hand, you take your basketball back a little bit, but you're you're always got power and motion going through the shot, don't you? Right. So it's, it's, you can have a short, sharp basketball shot, but it's pretty hard to get the, the nice arc and all the rest of that in that. And that's the same as putting, unless you're really good at what Seneca does, which is pop putting and he's trained it so much. What most of us end up doing is stabbing putts and distance control is brutal when you do that. Mm. Well,
0: speaking of putts, I'm going to flip it over to Phil for uh, questions from the gallery this week.
1: Speaking of putts. See what I did? You know, I don't see what you did. What I so my questions from the gallery this week is really an apology. What have you done?
0: Oh fell. Are so, we in trouble?
1: A, a number of times we've suggested to our wonderful listeners that they send in questions. And that we'll,
0: to swagger at golfbarons.com.
1: Well, I have an apology to make to young Jack Leidler Because Jack asked a fantastic question. But oh, via, know, our Jack. Ins- via our Instagram page. <laughs> What have you done to him, Phil? No, via our Instagram page, but it was there as a hidden message or whatever, they because I don't know how to do this social media stuff, and I missed. So Jack asked a cracking question about Bryson or Augusta that really questioned his ability to win, and had mm. we asked that question in the lead-up to Augusta, everyone would have jumped off Bryson. Now, I'm not going to go word for word through what his question was other than Jack cracking question. My question to myself as a question from the gallery. Why do you ask for questions and ignore them? Shooter? What, what, what? You've lost me. All oh, right, Yeah, no, all my fault. So, anyway, so apologies to Jack. Great question about Bryson and really it was about will will he be successful around Augusta when he's going to hit it so far? He's likely to short side himself, be in the rough around greens and not be able to control him on the Augusta greens. Jack, we're sorry <laughs> that, you, we're, that you know Kipper. Did we not
0: inadvertently answer that in our follow-up?
1: We, yeah, if we, we answer everything. Shooter in our follow-up. And, in fact, what we remarked is that potentially our Masters and our post-Masters podcast were our two finest of all time where we actually made sense and we weren't able to rant and we were able to dissect what was a great event. And I can't wait until April, it's not that far away.
0: Potentially. up, <laughs> I think it's time to, time to wrap things up with one of your world-famous tales from the tour, something around <laughs> green reading, I believe.
2: I did, well, yeah, well, you you pressed me on the uh, the green reading, and I do remember a wonderful story. This is a, a ripper, actually. Um, we'll be the uh, judge of that. <laughs> no, but well, I, you'll love it because of the ending. Anyway, uh, long story short, our first round of uh, Australian Open two thousand and gee, I should know this, but I think it's two thousand five. Playing with Allenby and caddying for the, for the uh, the great ball striker, he just had a day out with his ball striking. He was you know, usually amazing, but this day was just. He was just dialed in, and uh, the wind was blowing like you wouldn't believe. And around that course, if anyone's played down, at, um, good old Myrna, it's uh, it's brutal. I mean, I'd be lucky to break a hundred down there when it when it um, blows. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, he just gets on, and on the f- I knew he was on the practice fairway on the first hole. He calls me over for a putt, and we had that thing I talked about already, where don't call me over unless you you know you want to know wh- where it's going. He had about a six footer across the slope and. I gave him the the, um, the line and everything I thought, and it went in, and we get to the second hole. And he's like, can you read it again? I said, yeah, no problem. And gave him the line, and it went in. And he's like, Deez, I'm just not seeing it very well today. He goes, I'm going to get you to read every putt. He goes, don't say what you think until I ask you, but can you just read every putt for me? And I said, okay, fine. So off we go. And so that day, I, I got – uh, every hole, you know, did did the full, you know, backside, front side, did every every sort of reading of all, all putts throughout the round, and got to the point where I was, I'll just never forget it. I had my my sunglasses on, but I had to pull my sunglasses down each time I read the green because I could just see every break. I've, I've only had two days like it in my whole life. Could see everything, and got to the 16th hole. Wind's howling behind our back and um Rob's on fire. He's I think seven under at this point. And the next best was like one under or two under we we're dwarfing the field. And um he's like, What do you see? And I got down to look at it and I'm like, It's going four ways, Robert. And he said, Four ways? <laughs> he goes, What do you mean? <laughs> and I said, Well, this wind, mate, it's just brutal behind us. I said You know, it's breaking, you know, I told him, you know, it's breaking left early. It's going to travel for another foot or two. It's breaking back right, so it'll be on the same line as you hit it on by then. I said, it's going to camber again left. And and he goes, so it's snaking. And I said, yeah, it's snaking four ways. He goes, so where do I hit it? I said, hit it right at it. I said, but you got to hit it at a pretty crawly pace, so it's just going to drop in. He's like, why didn't you then say that? Just hit it at it. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So he gets over it, hits this thing. And it did. It went left and right, left and right, straight in the jaws. And he walked off. He said, "That's the greatest read I've ever seen." Right? <laughs> and, and for that comment to come from that man, I mean, I, I I almost dropped the bag. And that was a mic drop for me. Walk off because it doesn't get any better than that. So there he goes, eight under. We go to the last and um, pipes drive down there. Pipes four iron uh, actually went long. This was, is was the par five to the last there and uh, it went long. It should have been an eagle putt, but it wasn't. Chips up to about eight feet. And he's got that for nine under, new course record. And as I said, we're smashing the field. By then, the best in, I think, was a two under or three under or something. Anyway, I get over this putt and I'm looking at it. And Nico Hearn's in the middle of the green and it's his he's putt first. So Rob's just got his um ball marker down and, and I'm I'm looking. And as Nico's sort of lining up his putt, I get right down. I'm like, I got it. I know exactly where this is going. And I took one step back and there was the bunker. I went straight A over T, fell in the bunker. The crowd on a was huge because obviously Rob was lighting it up. I went right down on my back. Like, it was almost like a belly whacker, but I fell on my back, and the flag stick just had this rattle sound. <laughs> and I pop up, and I remember clambering up the face because I was embarrassed. I didn't know why I didn't exit the back of the bunker by then. I was close enough to it. But I'm clambering up the face, and I pop my head over like a little gopher. And there's Nick O'Hearn standing over his putt with his little broomstick. <laughs> And his, and his goddamn sunscreen that was glistening. And he looks up at me and he's like, you right, mate? I'm like, eh, don't mind me, Nico. So I just ducked my head back down so he couldn't see me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he holds the putt. I walk up on the green. I'm like, Rob, I've got this read. He goes... You want to give me a read when you can't see a bunker? He goes, I'm pretty right, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> anyway, then he did call me over and we had a chat, and, but he thought it was that good. And he'd been the part on the last and shot course record and obviously yeah. went on to win that week. But I'll never forget it because it was just one of those days where I could see every single break. But the next day, just to finish the story, was quite outstanding. On the first hole, I couldn't see it. And I told him that. I said, I, I can't see it today, Rob. Next hole, same thing. And he's like, "All right, well, he goes, I'll keep calling you over and just tell me if if your if your eyes change." And it was a it was a brilliant relationship we had because if you think back to that first day, he had the guts to tell me he couldn't see it and to trust me, and then on the second day, I had the guts to tell him I couldn't see it and trust him, and and no wonder we we had such a good partnership there for a while because he our trust in each other was was up there outstanding. And on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Thanks to those of you who've been
0: supporting us by watching Golf Barons On Demand on KO. Season 2 is in full swing and we will be back on Foxtel and KO in the new year. And special thanks to our US and UK listeners who've been getting our first season on Amazon Prime video in their respective regions. Head on over to BaronsLife.com and sign up to get reminders about this podcast or check out the latest issue of Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle Magazine with plenty of game-changing content inside. Until next time, Barons, from all of us, add some swagger to your swing.